welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 6.1, Second Nephi 1-5, through 5, We Lived After the Manner of Happiness. This week's guest is Tim Ballard, CEO of Operation Underground Railroad. Welcome to our, our podcast here for the Book of Mormon Evidence uh, streaming site and also for the Come Follow Me program. We're excited about uh, having our friend, uh, my friend Tim Ballard is with us today and I'm really excited about having him be a part of this. Those of you, if you already know, basically this is the, uh, the, the Come Follow Me manual and our, our assumption is that you've already read the, the lesson material. We're not going to be going through the lesson material. We are going through additional in, insights and information that will hopefully give you a deeper understanding of, uh, of the Book of Mormon. So uh, what I'd like to, to have is, uh, is have Tim just talk a little bit about uh, just a little bit of introduction. I don't think Tim really needs much of an introduction, but I'll just, just for those of you who don't know Tim, um, you know, Tim has been, he's the author of a new, number of books. Um, my, my, my personal favorite ones <laughs> are, are these two books right here. Um, although I love all of his books, but the, these two, is, the first one is called, uh, it's called The American Covenant, and this is uh, volume one. And uh, basically this is going about the discover, discovery through revolution. This is an early part of the U.S. history. And then book number two is, is called The American Covenant, uh, One Nation Under God. This is volume two, The Constitution, The Civil War, and Our Fight to Preserve the Covenant Today. Um, the reason why I love these um, after after Glenn Beck read these, he basically was so excited about it. He said, "You know, I love this, but it has all this Book of Mormon stuff in there." <laughs> and so, so I think he asked you to kind of redo it, and then that that ended up with the covenant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that process. How did that actually happen? First of all, I, I want to talk yeah. about the covenant, what that is, because yeah. a lot of people yeah. don't know what what it is. Where, in fact. Glenn Beck and I are doing a huge event called Restoring the Covenant in Gettysburg, and people keep asking, what is the covenant? Fourth of July. And on the Fourth of July yeah. in Gettysburg, a massive event. Hundreds of thousands of people will be there to re-invoke to re this covenant. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, the Book of Mormon really provides, of any book in the world, it provides the most information on what that covenant is. But um, what was cool was I was able to write the book, The Covenant, without the Book of Mormon references. R really, it's like the, the scaffolding and it still works. that builds the building, but you can take that <laughs> scaffolding off. And, and anyone who believes in, in Jesus, <laughs> any, any really denomination, um, not even, even uh, anyone with, frankly, Judeo-Christian thought can believe in that there's a covenant uh, because the founders taught it and they believed it. Well, and also it kind of initiated with the with even Abraham. That's the reason why even that's Jews where that's the, where it starts with so Abraham, forth. which is why it can this is all connect with everybody. Starts from yeah. And really, what I would encourage everyone to do at some point in your life, in their lives, read the Book of Mormon with a notebook and pen, and just reference the places where God is talking about the national covenant versus the baptismal priesthood covenants. Yeah, so because what, what happens is people mix them together. They they think it's the same. They hear covenant. I think it's this, it's the same thing, but it's 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 not. It all, it's all it's connected. If you read what the Abrahamic covenant is, we usually focus on the most important things: eternal lives, the things we do in the temple. The, the, that's the, the point and purpose of life. And so, it is the most important covenant: those things we do in, in baptism and in the temple and so forth. But if the the entire Abrahamic covenant 
extends beyond that and lays a foundation for that by saying, and, and if you read in the King James Bible, the LDS version with the, the, the Bible dictionary under Abrahamic covenant, yeah. it says part of that covenant is that God through Abraham designated certain lands to certain of the, of the tribes. And those lands would be covenant lands and foundations would be built upon those lands whereupon you can have the restoration, where you can have temples, where you can enjoy the fullness of, of the gospel. That kind of a separate, for those of you who are, who are talking about this, you're, you're kind of making a differentiation between a personal covenant and a national covenant. That's right. And one of the things that I love to bring up to people is that, you know, um, when it comes down to our own individual, you know, salvation, yeah, I, I asked, in fact, I asked a group just this morning, you know, I said, uh, do we believe as a church, do we believe in deathbed repentance? And everybody said, no, no. I said, yeah, that's right. We believe in after-death repentance <laughs> because we can repent right up until the judgment because we have that. But that's on a personal level. But a national covenant, though, there, as far as we know, there's not going to be nations on the other side of the veil because who's going to be the ruler? It'll be Jesus Christ will be the King of King and Lord of Lords. So there's not going to be a government, per se, on the other side. So national covenants and national blessings and, uh, and and judgments have to happen in the here and now. It has to happen that's right. in our time. It can't wait until the judgment. So that's, right. that's a really important distinguishing feature between the two. That's right. And and most people, frankly, don't distinguish. Even in, in Sunday school classes that I'm a part of, they do not distinguish between those two covenants. They're all under the Abrahamic covenant, to be sure. But if you don't see the difference, you're going to get really confused. Right. Here, here's what helps. Um, the Old Testament is a book about the National Covenant. The Old Testament is a book about the National Covenant. It's how a nation can be built under God. And so it's, you can learn all about it. The New Testament is not. The New Testament is almost all about your personal covenant, how to access the atonement, how to access the, the grace of, of, of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The Book of Mormon is the most magical of all <laughs> because the Book of Mormon merges both. The Book of Mormon has both the National Covenant and that personal covenant. But we, if we don't distinguish, we're going we're gonna to miss so many important pieces. I mean, think about it. The Book of Mormon was written by Mormon, right? It was mm -hmm. the person who compiled and wrote and put together was a political figure, a, 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 a soldier. Yeah. Why? There's a reason for that. Because of the National Covenant element. Because without the National Covenant... There's no, there will be no temples. Yeah. There, there's no foundation where you can build any any kind of restoration of the gospel. Where's that? Yeah. Where's that picture of? Let me. This this is probably one of the best examples. When we read in Alma 46 about this experience, the title of liberty, in nine out of ten Sunday school classes, it's going to be taught that because because when Moroni stands up and he says, I make a covenant, he says the word covenant, nine out of ten times when I've been in a Sunday school class, the, the instructor's <laughs> talking, oh, see, you make your baptismal covenants. And no, this is not a baptismal right. covenant. Okay, you don't, you don't get into the waters of baptism with a sword and, 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 and a shield. Okay, and, and it's, it's a different covenant. What he raises up is the title of liberty which the preservation of our country, our family, our religious freedoms. This is the Constitution of the United States. And he does a couple of really interesting things in Alma 46. He raises the title of liberty, has his, has his sword on and his, and his, his, his gear, his breastplate. His and his plate, and all that stuff, okay? yes. One. Two, he, he, 
he invokes a covenant, says it's a covenant, uses covenant language. Three, he asks the people to pray for the nation, and the nation shows up to repent and pray. And four, he references something really interesting. He says, the reason I can make this covenant is because I am from Joseph. I am of of the tribe of Joseph, and all of you are of the tribe of Joseph. And we know through the Book of Mormon, great were the blessings of Joseph. Lehi, how many times did he say, we are from Joseph, we are from... He sent the boys back to to get the plates from Laban, not because they needed Sunday school lessons in the New World. He said, because we need to prove our lineage, we are from Joseph. Because when when Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this covenant was passed down, Jacob then gives it to his sons. And before he dies in Genesis 49, Mm -hmm. he puts his hands on Joseph's head. And he says, to you, my son, goes America. That's what he says. <laughs> the land the, the above all other lands. Yeah, this, yeah. this great nation that will be above yeah. all other nations, this <clears throat> blessed land. So when Lehi's crossing over into, the, into America, he's saying, we're from Joseph, because guys, we are the, we're crossing over the wall. This is mm-hmm. the, the wall that, that, that Jacob refers yeah, let, to. Let, let me back up for just a second, as, as, because, because I think there's a lot of people who don't really understand that. I was, I was just speaking to a group this morning, and I asked them, so I put up, you know, you have uh, Abraham has this covenant and he's promised a specific land. That land was called Canaan. And then they divided up that land to all of, you know, have Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob. Jacob became Israel and he had 12 sons and they divided up that land. But if you take a look at the land and how it was divided up, everybody got a piece except for Joseph, Joseph but his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh both did and also Levi. So those, those, those two didn't get a land in the promised land. Why did they not get a land? I mean, I thought Joseph was the good one, <laughs> you know, the one that really followed the covenant, right? Well, it turns out that because his land wasn't going to be in Israel. That's right. It wasn't part of that land. And in fact, I want to, I want to read just a little quick quote here. This is from uh, our prophet. <laughs> okay. This is from uh, President Nelson. And this is what he said. Um, <clears throat> he says, the Book of Mormon reveals that Joseph, the son of Jacob, who was once sold into Egypt, foresaw the prophet Joseph Smith and, and his day and noted that there would be many similarities in their lives. Centuries later, the prophet Joseph stated, I feel like Joseph in Egypt. The Book of Mormon reveals that the inheritance of Joseph, son of Israel, was not forgotten when land was distributed to the tribes of Israel. I think 90% of the membership of the church doesn't really understand what President Nelson is talking about here. He says that land was not forgotten when it was distributed to the land to the tribes of Israel as promised in the Abrahamic covenant. But Joseph's inheritance was to be a land choice above all others. It was choice not only because of beauty of nat- and, and wealth of rat- natural resources, but it was choice because it was chosen to be the repository of sacred writings on gold plates from which the Book Mormon Mormon would one day become. So it was the repository of the records, and we know where that was. It's in the United States. It says it was choice because it would eventually host the world headquarters of the restored Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days, and we know where that is. That's not in question. We know exactly where that is. And it was choice because it was a land of liberty for those who worship the Lord and keep his commandments. So here we have the prophet of, of our day, President Nelson saying that, that, that he's, he's reiterating what you just said, but I think a lot of people don't realize that Joseph didn't get a land over there. Yeah. His land was going to be over the wall, meaning over the ocean. And, and, and the, did the founding fathers understand this? Yes, so that's what I'm getting to. So, yes. so Lehi was very excited because he understood what President Nelson understood. He was Joseph. He was crossing over the water, the wall, as Jacob mm-hmm. put it in his blessing. 
And he wanted to make sure the world knew, this is us. We're fulfilling the promise of Joseph right now. We are Joseph's children, and we're getting this land. And so that's why Captain Moroni was able to stand and say, because, of, because we are Joseph, we are in this promised land, and that's why I can make this covenant. We can covenant with God right now. So he does all those things as he lifts the title of labor. Now, to answer your yeah. question, what did the founding fathers think? Fast forward 2,000 years. 2,000 years <laughs> later, same land, still consecrated, and, and if, there's a, if there's one moment in modern American history where we can say that a title of liberty was hoisted up, it was April 30th, 1789. This is when George Washington stands, takes the oath, and becomes the first president of the United States, thus in, in, activating the Constitution, right? yeah. his first inaugural address. Yeah. Activates the Constitution, which we know is the, like, the only political document that I, that I think we know of, that God himself... And he confirms. activates it by literally putting his hand on the Are you going to steal my Bible? thunder or what? What are you going to do? I'll just, I'll just leave if you want to tell the story. <laughs> you go ahead. Okay. If you want me to do it or you can do it. So, uh, so this, is, this is the day. He, he lifts. This is, what he, this is the Constitution becomes activated. So you can yeah. imagine. Now, what's interesting is you follow the, the, the four things that he did. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. George Washington does the exact same things. First, he, he comes with a sword, which is the least important, but still interesting. Cool. Two, he calls the nation to pray, just like he did in that moment at Alma 46. He, it's, it's published in the paper. Go to your house of prayer. Everybody pray that God will accept this nation to himself. Three, he invokes the covenant. Now, um, Roni said, I covenant, Washington's words. He gives covenant words in his address. He says, the smiles of heaven can never be expected upon a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. Yeah. Those are covenant words. If, in other words, if you're wicked, you'll be swept off. If you're righteous, you can receive the blessings of this or the smiles of heaven. And then most bewildering, he takes that Bible and he puts his hand in the Bible, says, so help me God, which is, he didn't have to do that, but he did that, and mm-hmm. takes that oath. Now, the place where he put his hand is interesting because... Almost every president since Washington chose. This, this is the Gideon. Was it the Gideon Bible he had? Or was no, it? no. He he actually he had the Masonic Bible from the the, the Saint John's Lodge from from New York. He had it sent over. And that's and that still exists. It still exists. Yeah. It's actually you've, it's you've housed at the place yeah. at, at Federal Hall in New York City, and it's opened to the page where he had his hand. That was significant because yeah. um, be, be, the, the person giving the, the Chancellor of of, of New York. Who was watching, and he was, uh, and and the custodian of the Bible was watching, and they they, they stuck the paper in and said, "Here's where he had his hand." But commentators since have said, "Why did he choose just any old page? Because everybody else chooses something significant. He chose some scripture from the Old Testament that's just, that's just, yeah. that's just nothing. It's a, it's nothing. It's just gibberish to them." And what what scripture is? That? And where he had his hand was Genesis forty nine. Literally, his hands on the page, on the words, Joseph is a fruitful bough whose branches run over the wall. Jacob's blessing to Joseph. The very same reference <laughs> that Captain Moroni makes in Alma 46. Why is this significant? Because until the restoration, until Joseph Smith came to shed light on what this all meant, until the Book of Mormon came out, nobody would have in their right mind thought that Joseph, Genesis 49, Jacob blessing Joseph, with, with a, you know, that his branch will be fruitful over the wall. They, that, no one thought that was America. There was no one teaching that. Yeah. And yet, well, George how did, Washington... How did Washington know? Well, because George Washington was 
for all intents and purposes, a prophet. I mean, he, 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 in another day and age, he could have been a prophet, but he, catch 22, he had to, you know, he, someone had to gospel, come down. The gospel had not been restored. Someone had, to, someone had to come down to help the gospel get restored. That's right. That's right. And, and the people and that came down, these founding fathers, yeah. were of the caliber of, 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 of prophets in my mind. And so they knew a lot of things. They, they understood a lot of things as, as we, and, and then we get into 1 Nephi 13. More of this is revealed as we try to, as we corroborate the history and the scripture. Um, again, I think First Nephi 13 is one of the most understated scriptures in, 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 in our curriculum. I think that we think, oh, cool, he saw some cool things, and then move on. No, you've got to really look what's going on here in First Nephi 13, part of this great vision that Nephi's having. First of all, it's bookended by two major historical eras. Okay, mm-hmm. right. First is the apostasy. Nephi, and the angel, shows Nephi the great apostasy that happens at the death of Jesus and the death of the apostles and it's darkness and it's horrible and the saints are pushed into the, to the ground and oppressed. It's, the language is very powerful. And then it bookends at the, on the, at the end of 1 Nephi 13, there's a restoration. It, yeah. The new books come to light. The, the, all the, 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 the truths that have been lost are now revealed. This is beautiful. So that's the two bookends of 1 Nephi 13. So yeah. what is the thing that bridges? What bridges apostasy to restoration that's the story that we all miss <laughs> there's a bridge saying okay something has to happen between apostasy and restoration what is it that's happening now remember nephi is seeing this 2000 years before it's going to happen that's pretty significant stuff yeah. if you're seeing 2000 years into the future then this is not this is very deliberate stuff that the lord is going to make sure is going to happen and not only that but also when as as we've talked about in the previous uh, you know, uh, episodes of this when we, if, if you take a look at the Book of Mormon itself, this part, Nephi considered this to be part of the spiritual history because this comes from the small plates of Nephi, not his large plates, which is the more secular account. This is coming from the, the, the small plates of Nephi. So he, Nephi was feeling that this information was part of his spiritual heritage that he originally wasn't even going to be in the book. Yeah. Mormon never abridged this record. This record comes straight from the hand of Nephi. Yeah. So this is not even an abridgment. Yeah. This is Nephi straight up telling us exactly what he saw in that vision, and we're getting it unfiltered. So what does he see? What is, what is the bridge? Yeah, what is, what what is, is the bridge? That? First, yeah. he sees the discovery of America. He sees uh, who Latter-day Saints have determined is Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, he sees the discovery of this new world. Um, he he then goes on and he sees. By the way, did Christopher Columbus ever actually get to America? Because I've had people say, "Oh, he never got there," but it turns out that he actually did. He actually landed on what today is American territory, and uh, he, in, in his he, first, in one he, of his first, he got uh, to the things, continent, yeah. but he never got to North America. Right. But he was. Yeah. The, but there's no question of he's the one that found. It didn't really matter because he said, hey, guys, there's something over here. There's land over here. And then everybody else came and, and they found. He, he didn't exactly. need to find it exactly. exactly. Um, the, the, the thing about Columbus, very controversial figure. Yeah. Uh, he made some huge mistakes. Um, he, he allowed a lot of oppression to take place. Yeah. But um, as, you read, as you read his, I have a book coming out in May. Called awesome. the Pilgrim Hypothesis. Oh, yeah. are you, you going to tell us? And a little bit I about have it? so much about Columbus. <laughs> I have so much about Columbus. Cool. All right. In this book, um, he, he was the that. most difficult person to research for sure, yeah. um, because the, the truth is, you know, people try to cover up for him. I don't. Yeah. 
like the history is the history. He on his he had he made four journeys. On his first journey, he came with God and miracles, and there's no. I mean, the miracles he, he are just he was unbelievable. Being guided by the by God. By oh yeah, he wrote. He wrote. Spirit. He wrote. The yeah. Holy Spirit guided me. And then you cross reference that with what Nephi saw. <laughs> and, the, and Nephi said the Holy Ghost wrought upon this man <laughs> yeah, and, right. and so it's, it's direct corroboration in that way and he finds this new world and we have apostles, prophets saying had it not been for that discovery there never would have been a restoration of course yeah. this, the, the new world had to be discovered by Ephraim Ephraim had to get over to the, to the new world um, and to, to, in order to, to, to bring about the restoration so Columbus's act of it was, it's like going to the moon. You understand that? Like he, he we should yes. take for granted how crazy it was what he was going to go do. You sail off into an ocean that you can't see the end of. And, and no you one sail knows for there. weeks and weeks no and one knows, weeks and you no don't know. Yeah. Some people speculated you know, that you may end up in India. Or something. You right. Know, I mean, you may go all the way around to... He thought he was, he thought he was, he had discovered the, the, the outskirts of Asia. I mean, yeah. He didn't even know what it was. Others, yeah. Amerigo Vespucci was the one who came in and said, no, it's a continent. That's <laughs> yeah. how he, he got the name. That's he, got, he, got he got the name. name. He got <laughs> the right. name. Amerigo Vespucci. Yeah. He, so, but, but what's interesting about him, so it, it, it's miracle after miracle after miracle, including in a, a strange account that where he, he gets on the island of Cuba and one of his archers who's hunting comes across three men dressed in white tunics that are, oh, wow. uh, are white skinned not not natives yeah. and he, he can't figure out what it is he runs back to Columbus they, they'll look for these people they can't find them anywhere it's just interesting huh. that there were three basically pe- Caucasians three, and, if you will yeah and they were yeah. they were they were um, administering to the native tribes so people you can speculate who that might have been um <laughs> Yeah. Uh, preparing these tribes for something that, frankly, uh, you know, it's it was prophesied that this might happen. Uh, anyway, so so other these other miracles happen that he fi- he finds the land. Then he brings he has a just a horrible group of guys. Uh, no one wanted to second, go on this. second voyage. Uh, first, second, and third. Okay. It was okay. just horrible people, and they were very abusive to the natives, yeah. and and. He didn't do enough. Well, back then, a lot of times, the people who would actually take jobs doing ship stuff like, you know, working on ships like that were, were pretty kind of the, the dregs of society. <laughs> you know, they, Especially in this case. They weren't, they weren't paid this a lot. Was a, this was, was a death very, warrant. It was very dangerous Yeah, there, there, were, there were prisoners and ex-convicts. So you have and some pretty bad dudes. Yeah. On these, on these voyages. And not to mention that the, the way that the crown paid for this, the Queen Isabella paid for this was she went to... She commanded the, the the city of Palos. They owed her a bunch of money. She says you're gonna you're gonna pay the debt by, by pr- providing for this people. sailor who's a foreigner, by the way. He's an Italian, so they were already like he's not even Spanish, and we're being forced to do this. So no one cared. Like this was a this was the a, a crap job. Okay, this was this no. And so yeah, he got yeah. he got the worst, and they were very abusive. Um, he tried to he. I truly believe he loved the, he wanted to love the natives. He did love the natives. Yeah. He wanted to bring Jesus to them. He was he was a huge believer in yeah. in, in the atonement of in Jesus. Yeah. But then he got he got sidetracked in the second third voyages. It was about gold. It was about it was about other things. And it's funny the miracles disappear. The miracles disappear. And by his third voyage, he is betrayed by his own people, thrown in jail in Santo Domingo, the very country, the very island and colony he created. His people turn on him, throw him in jail, send him back in chains. To Spain, um, and he gets humbled. He, he goes and lives in this monastery, and he writes this book called the Book of Prophecies. 
So what's, what's some of the best source material to be able to, to, to find out this information? I mean, what kind of sources have you, have you been able to find with the best stuff about Columbus? Uh, it's, it's, just, I any mean, particular areas uh, or just, well, I mean, I, I had to go to the rich, like the book of prophecies. Yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. to read his words. I don't trust, you can't trust people. So he, much on the internet, look, dur yeah. during this era of, of virtual signaling, uh, virtue signaling, he's, yeah. he's the first to go down, right? Yeah. Columbus. So uh, <laughs> it's very popular to, to bash, bash him. him. Yeah. So I read, and, and all the founding fathers actually. and all of them. Yeah. So, so I just read his primary sources, the book of prophecies where he tells his story and, and all of a sudden, I'm not going to give away this stuff. People have to buy the, you know. Yeah, yeah, get absolutely. Get your book. Okay, because I'm not going it, to. It's, it, it's, it's too extensive anyway. Yes, but right. he, in his book of prophecies, you see these amazing connections to the restoration of the gospel. He knew what he was doing. He sought temples. He believed his discovery was going to lead to the restoration of temples. He, he, he mm -hmm. sought for that. He looked for that. And, and ultimately, he accomplished that. Um, a missionary work. Uh, he, he cites he basically cites every single scripture in the Old Testament that's a prophecy of America and a prophecy of, of the New Jerusalem and, and the restoration of the God. All the things that LDS doctrine utilizes to show the Old Testament prophecies of America, he uses those in his book of prophecies. Kind of like the to, Book of Mormon. To support his, absolutely. Yeah. The book of prophecies, I, I make the point in my book, parallels the Book of Mormon quite a bit. Yeah. He uses the same scriptures that Mormon selected to put together this book saying, God sent me to do this and <laughs> great things will happen. Um, so then we move on. Um, but basically, so then he goes on a fourth voyage, by the way, and he's repentant. And he's, he, he, is, he goes through a deep repentance and it hurts. It hurts. And Boy, he, that sounds so familiar. <laughs> it's, it, he goes through the full yeah. pride cycle. That's the thing, that's, 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 right. that's the magic of Columbus, really. Yeah. He goes through the full pride cycle and in the end, he actually dies a very broken man because of the mistakes he made. But his final voyage that he takes, and he gets back and dies two years later, he goes and he, it's the miracles return. He turns back to God. He actually has a vision, an angel, according to him, or a voice appears to him and tells him, we, you know, heaven did this. You, you, you have been inspired. Repent for your sins, and we will, you'll be forgiven. It's an amazing wow. story. And then Orson Hyde, fast forward a couple thousand years, or, or, Orson, or a couple hundred years, or, Orson Hyde is in the tabernacle on the 4th of July as an apostle, and he gives this talk, and he says, without making reference to Columbus's vision, which I don't think was published at the time in English, um, he said that, that Moroni, the prince guardian, the angel of guardian angel of America, yeah. was in the boat with Columbus. He says that. And the vision uh -huh. did in fact happen in a boat in his boat with with him, so it's 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 an interesting <laughs> potential there. That is pretty cool. Um, so then we move on because that's great. The, the land's discovered. Now what? Well, it's discovered because we know that Ephraim is to inherit the promised land again. These guys all knew it. Mormon knew it. Moroni. They talked about it at the end of the book. They were like, "This is so sad. We've we've fallen. We lost the covenant and we lost everything, and now we're we're a destroyed people." But they said the blessings that were to be ours will be transferred to the Gentiles who will inherit this land. They knew that putting this, these plates in the ground, it was all going to come back again. The restoration of the gospel meant the restoration first of the American covenant, the same covenant they made. Remember, when Lehi got here and when the Jaredites got here, first they made a covenant on the land. Mm -hmm. Before they built their temples and organized themselves religiously that way, they covenanted on the land. 
And how many times does Nephi, Lehi, Moroni, Mormon, all of them say, if you are wicked on this land, you, you will be swept And, and even off. the Jaredites. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up, though, then we actually covered this in, the, in earlier uh, episodes of this, but, uh, but where did this covenant actually initiate as far as on this land? It actually initiated from Adam and Eve That's and right. their posterity. <laughs> so from the very beginning when they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, it says right there in Moses chapter 6, verse 17, it says that the first promised land, that's the first mention of a promised land anywhere in the standard right. works. It says it was named after Adam's great grandson who was named Canaan. So we had Adam who had Seth, who had Enos, who had Canaan. The first promised land was here in America. And what was the promise? You be righteous, you get to stay here. That's right. If you become unrighteous, if you forget about God, then you're going to get the broom treatment, I like to call it, which is you're going to get swept off the land. And that happened at Noah's time. So actually, Lehi was being brought back to the original promised land because the covenant remains on the land itself. And then the, and then after the flood, then you had the Jaredites coming back, then they wipe each other out, then you had the Nephites coming back, and then they basically get wiped out by their brothers. And then you have the new covenant makers coming back, and that's now, you know, George Washington and, and, and the founding fathers, which the Lord said he raised up for the very purpose. So then they reestablished this covenant again on this same promised land. So this is not something that's new. It's not new. This from has the, been the over, and over and over and over From the time again. the waters left the land, it was yeah. created, this land was a promised land. And where is that Garden of Eden? It's the same place as the New Jerusalem, yes. right in the middle of North America. Yeah, and and, and <laughs> if, if you take it even into the future, which they're going to talk about here, where is the New Jerusalem? Same place. You have the Old Jerusalem, which is Abraham's land. You have the New Jerusalem, which is the land of Joseph or the land of Adam and Eve, and also the Nephites and Jaredites and so forth. But you're going to have this new Jerusalem, and where is that going to be established? We know where that is. This is in not place. in question. It's, it's not this question. is not in play. And by we the know. way, by the way, something else about Columbus, while he was a little known fact that, again, if he didn't have the restored gospel, you would think nothing of it. He believed, he, he had a spiritual manifestation given to him during his third, his third voyage. Yeah. When he hit the continent, he said, the new Jerusalem and the Garden of Eden are somewhere here. <laughs> He, he, he said, absolutely he wrote that. He wrote that. This is not. He, this is way before Joseph Smith had even been a, a, a twinkling. That's, that's right. Eyes. That's right. This is a long time that's before right. that. He's, now here's an important point. This wow. got we had a Sunday school class on Sunday that people got very confused when this point came up. Gentiles, okay, because yeah, the, Gentiles? the prophet yeah. the prophecies from Jacob to Joseph says that Joseph. This is Joseph's land. This is the land of Joseph. They call it the land of Joseph. But the Gentiles are, are somewhere outside. No. The, if the definition of Gentile uh, as pertained, and you can look up Gentile in the Bible dictionary, it says Gentile, for the purposes of the Book of Mormon, generally means that it's a, it's a group of people that came from an apostate land, a, a land that didn't have the fullness of the gospel. It does not mean that the blood of Israel was not in, was not in them. That's right. This is important. Because when... Well, Joseph Smith, in the, in the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, he said that the, the Gentiles, who we are, we are Gentiles. Joseph Smith said that he is a Gentile. That's right. He is a Gentile in the Book of Mormon. But he's also... He's also the Book the, of Mormon tells you who he is. Yeah, that's right. He's also from Joseph as well. Direct from Joseph. And he's also, and this is another little thing, but I probably maybe shouldn't say too much about this, but he's also a direct descendant of Christ. Too. There's a lot of evidence to point to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we won't... Be, so, oh, so, so then, this, this is where it gets fascinating, by the way. Yeah. So, because First Nephi 13 now jumps from Columbus to the pilgrims. He sees the pilgrims coming over. That's the next wave. Yeah. 
the pilgrims have to come over and to the promised land. I think it was. I think the Lord didn't let Columbus go to the actual premises of the promised land on purpose because that was for Ephraim. And I don't. I don't know. I don't know what Columbus's lineage is, yeah. but we do know something about the pilgrims' lineage. The pilgrims. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a trip back to London, a couple trips to study who they were, and I went to Leiden, Holland, where they spent twelve years before they came to America. This was a special group of people that got on this boat, uh, and they. It's so interesting, Rod. When, when they got here, they called themselves the New Israel. They believed they were the New Israel. Think about that. That is bizarre. What's going on? They were the new Israel. Now, they, they knew on a spiritual level who they were. They lived the Thanksgiving. They established Thanksgiving. That's the Sukkot. That is the, that's the Feast of the Tabernacles. Right. They lived almost every letter of that law when they established the Thanksgiving. They, and this is before they came here to America. This, they were doing this over in the old world in, in, in basically what is now Europe. Right, that, but, but they really... But they really... When they got here... to do it finally When here. they really got here is when they yeah. really emphasized this. They named their children biblical names. They called their towns biblical towns. They, they were trying to build the New Jerusalem. They used the Old Testament as their guide to build one nation under God. And if you go back, there's an amazing amount of history about what happened when the lost tribes, the, t- the ten lost tribes led by Joseph, Ephraim, they go north and they, they, they get lost, right? Well, we know they end up in the British Isles. That we, we have Some of them do, amazing yes. evidence about this linguistic evidence, uh, historical, pr- pr- prophetic, biblical and if you go to London, I spent a lot of time studying in London. There's a guy there named Stephen Spikerman. I, yes, you you, yeah, you know I him. Know, yeah, he's, came, he's actually come and spoken at our, our events before. And he'll teach you all about this. It's, it's yeah, the, totally the, the signs that. of yeah. Ephraim and Joseph are everywhere in the heraldry, in the, in the covenant symbols of, 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 Israel, of, of Britain. Yeah. It's, even Britain means, in, in Hebrew, covenant land. Okay, Britain means covenant land. British <laughs> means covenant man. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the Hebrew, because the, the Hebrew, we know ling- I, 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 there's a PhD uh, a, um, professor of linguistics named Terry Blodgett, who I've been yes. learning from, and he, he talks about the, the, the sound shifts, that right about the time when the Bible tells us that, that Ephraim goes north and Joseph goes north and gets is lost to the north, mm-hmm. there's this crazy sound shift, meaning the Hebrew mixes with the English in Britain. You can go back to that time period and see there was a major mix of, 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 of people and this is where they go and um, there's, even, there's even a possibility and I'm not sure how much uh, you know, our audience knows about this in our first episode we talked we, we talked with uh, with uh, James and Hannah Stoddard yes and, they've done a ton uh, of research on this yeah. and, and, that, and how the, the it's a possibility that when Hagoth in the Book of Mormon left that if they left from where we think that they left from they may have ended up over in the British Isles basically too or basically Scandinavia in that area, which is interesting because there are mounds that look just like the mounds wow. over here. There's a, there's overwhelming evidence that they may have also been over there, and they clearly are of the of the lineage of Joseph. So that would put Joseph there as well. So you actually have not only some of the ten tribes, but also some of the Nephites yeah. being all over there, and then they come basically. Wow. Well, at least that's their hypothesis. Yeah. And it's just a fascinating. It's yeah thing to take a look at that I, the, I've been overwhelmed yes. at the evidence that Britain truly is a place where God sent people it's a covenant land right. now here's where it gets crazy okay <laughs> these 102 pilgrims really only half of them are actually the Leiden congregation the others are adventurers who are just coming along right. so it's really only 50 the Lord doesn't need much he needs a remnant right? right they get on this Mayflower and they start heading over 
into to the, to the new world. Now, is this Ephraim coming across? And, and they're going to connect. Amazing things happen, by the way, when they get here and they connect with the native tribes. That's Manasseh. No, 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 is this the first one where they, where they actually show up and, and actually there's a Native American that comes out and he's naked and basically... Speaks English. He speaks perfect English. Yeah. The, it's, know, what? It's, it's this, when <laughs> oh, you study the history of that... How are they here? It's Squanto. Yeah, Squanto. Samuel said Squanto too, actually. Yeah. And, and these miracles start happening. Uh, it's, it's this beautiful reunion. As you look back, it's, it's Manasseh and Ephraim coming together again. It's, 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 this, it's the same people who have been separated by this water, but they're right. coming back they're coming together, back together. again. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's what you know. It's interesting when you read the Book of Mormon, the group, the Gentiles that come over. The Lord keeps repeating this to fulfill the covenants I've made with the house of Israel. This is all about the house of Israel. So here's these guys coming across. Now let me tell you this story that's unbelievable. As they're coming across, there's this there's one pilgrim named John Howland. He's twenty. He's early twenties. I'm thinking, who's this? What's this guy? There's no future for him. He's now he's single. Right, he's gonna go. How many women? Are not a whole, not a whole lot of ladies. Not not a whole yeah. lot of options. But he has to go because he's he's basically an indentured servant okay. to Jonathan Carver, who's gonna be the first governor's sweet guy. He's a nice guy, takes care of him. Yeah. John Howland, 22 years old or something like that, gets up on the decks of the Mayflower. He's told to get down. The storm's tossing, turning, all these things, and this guy falls into the water. The boat falls, the, off, the falls off the ship into the water. He's a dead man. Right, yeah. because you can't turn that ship. Not it's not a speedboat. There's no right. thing. There's nothing you can do. Right. You turn around, he's dead by then. You're never going to find him. You can't. Yeah. You know, it takes hours to turn that yeah. thing back. You know, yeah. he's dead, and yet he falls into the water, and as he's several fathoms under, as 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 Brad, William Bradford witnessed part of this, somehow the halyard line, which is the the topsail halyard, should have been tied to a cleat. Instead, it was just dragging in the water, and it it was right where he where he fell. Right he fell, and he, and the rope was in his hand. He climbs up, he gets very ill, he recovers, and he, he makes it. So I start taking an interest in this guy when I hear the story. Who is this guy? For some reason he's being preserved. He needs to be preserved, right? Who is he? Is he Ephraim? You know, are they all Ephraim? So he, he ends up coming across with the rest of the group. And, and when they get there, and I'll come back to Howland in a second, but when they get there, people don't realize this, they were 250 miles off. They were supposed to land at the Hudson River down basically uh, where New York City is today. 250 miles off, and they get to the wrong place because the storms had pushed them. Too far north or yeah, too far south? Too, too, too far north. Too far north, yeah. They're in Massachusetts. They're supposed yeah. to be in New York. Yeah. Um, and there's no question in my mind that God pushed them there because then they said, okay, we're going down south. They head down south, and they hit a series of shoals, these, land, these sandbars, yeah. Yeah. and they almost die because they get stuck in the sandbars, yeah. and they're about to run aground. They, they make it out, pop out back up north, and they're like, God doesn't want us to go there. Let's go back to where, wherever we saw land, that must be that's what God wanted us. So that's how they go, and they end up finding Plymouth. Okay, now, Plymouth is a paradise. Like, it's, it's unbelievable what, what's going on here. First of all, it's the only place in that whole region, on the whole eastern seaboard, where there's a native tribe that it will be friendly to the British. Yeah. Everyone else, the tribe, like in Jamestown, they were, they were destroyed. Massasoit, this chief, takes them in. Squanto. Now, the story about Squanto, this crazy story. Squanto was kidnapped in 1615. Kidnapped by a, by a Captain Hunt. Taken back to back Spain. To Spain. Yep. Put into slavery. He escapes, goes to London, makes it back. He's on a ship. He wants to see his family. He goes back, they're and gone. they're all dead. They're gone. He's part of the Patusit tribe that was wiped out by this plague. Yeah. 
And though he goes and he's in mourning with Massasoit, within a year of him coming back, the pilgrims magically land where? Right on the land where, the, where he was from. Yeah. And no one wants that land. It's this beautiful land, but no one wants it because it's cursed in their minds. And everyone died in the plague two okay. years earlier. Yeah. So, so that's why Squanto is so excited. He says, as a consolation, let me help you. I lived here. I know everything about these woods. I know how to hunt. I know how to farm. <laughs> and the pilgrims, were, they were dying. Jeremiah saw the pilgrims, by the way, and he said they will come to the promised land in, in, in mourning and weeping. This was part of the challenge. Yeah. And, and half of them died that first winter. And they all would have died, according to every historian I've read. Is it, this is where they were down to almost eating like earthworms. Oh yeah, they, they were. They were earthworms. Literally, they were all going to die a little bit because they were so starving. They were all going to die until Manasseh showed up. Squanto showed up and said, "I will save you." And they said, "He's they, William Brever said he was a he was a gift of God, from God." This is how you do it. Here. He taught them everything, yeah. and they ended up flourishing. And it, it, something about these pilgrims is just amazing to me. Like their life in Leiden was not bad. It was great, actually. It was, it, I mean. You know, relative to how Europeans were all living at that time, and they did the irrational by getting on that boat and coming over to America. And when they get here, I mean, I, I try to put myself in their place. Half of them are dead. Three quarters of the women have died in that first winter, and wow. nothing's working out for them. Christopher Jones. The captain of the Mayflower, he's still there. He's still he's there till April. He's like, guys, you tried. Let's go back. I'll take you back. Let's get I'll back. take you back. Yeah. There's no. Can you imagine? You've buried your family. You buried your wife. You know, widowers. Wid just horrible orphans. Let's and they go have, back. And they have a way to get out. Oh yeah, he says, let's they go back. Yeah. Guess how many got on that boat and went back? None of them. They they preferred to wallow in the mud and pray because they knew they were about the, the Lord's work. Yeah. They were preparing the land for the restoration of the gospel. If they go back, they're going to be under the same problems with the king and the, and the, and the religion there, the, the state-run religion and so forth. And they wanted to follow their... But their this is the point to understand. Yeah. They had achieved what you just... They, they had achieved that in Leiden. This is important to understand. Oh, they yeah. had achieved religious freedom for 12 years in Leiden and they were still living religious freedom. They had left London. Hmm. And this, but this is what makes it such a miracle story. Because it was more than that. It was more than religious freedom. It was a calling from God. Because the restoration never would have made it in Europe. right? If Joseph brought the plates even to Leiden, he would have been demolished. He was practically, right. Right. he was almost demolished in the promised land. Okay, so he barely made it through that one. Well, he, he didn't. The gospel did. Okay, so. There's so an they, extermination order they, even here. Right. Yeah. They had to stay for the restoration. They had to be there because there's all logic would say go back you had, you had what you what you really need but they looked to the future and they knew that they were supposed to be there now here's the crazy part here's the most fascinating part of the pilgrim story yeah. John Howland this guy who fell off the boat right the guy that dragged himself back up on the he, yeah. lanyard line he the, ends yeah. up he ends up marrying Elizabeth Tilly they have 10 children now fast forward a couple hundred years I always said John Howland of all, he had to. He needed to survive. He he probably didn't know. He was bulletproof. He, he was he was <laughs> in a gunfight later. <laughs> he, like, he was bulletproof. He couldn't die, and he, and this is why he couldn't die. Because Joseph Smith's fourth great grandfather, fourth great grandfather okay. is, a, is a man named John Jr. Right. Emma Smith's fourth great grandmother is a woman named Hope. Okay, John Jr. and Hope are brother and sister. 
Their father is John Howland. So who was John Howland? He was Ephraim. Pure-blooded Ephraim. This was truly Ephraim and Manasseh coming together. Joseph Smith and Emma Smith's DNA was on the Mayflower. They had to get them over here. He couldn't die. John Howland was bulletproof. He should have been dead. That was one in a million chance that he survived that fall. Yeah. He had to be here. And here's Nephi. So you know, so his this. posterity would be able to... His posterity uh, was the mother and father of the restoration. With the restoration. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Amazing. <laughs> and, 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 and to boot, again, these pilgrims are talking about, they're talking about Israel and living the laws of Israel. They're building mm-hmm. one nation under God. Uh, and and then what, they did the, the compact and all that kind of stuff too, right? I mean, they, so you the, exactly, the yeah. The Mayflower Compact. compact I mean, what, which, what, what was that? I it mean, was a covenant. That's it was right. a covenant. Then, then ten years later, sixteen thirty. Everybody had to sign it before they could. That's right. Yeah, and it was a covenant, and they got word back to because it's interesting. Um, they had to pay a debt. They were in severe debt to to the investors, right? And so the first boat that came in the next year was the Fortune. And it came, sent by the investors from, from, from England, saying, pay up. And they said, we got beaver pelts, sassafras, we got all this stuff. They loaded the fortune up, the fortune leaves. It gets, it gets sacked by, by French privateers, okay? Everything gets stolen. They're, everything they worked so hard to, to produce for a whole year gets stolen. But one thing didn't get stolen. William Bradford and Edward Winslow, two of my favorite pilgrims, they wrote this book. Called it's it's called Mort Relations today. It, that's a, an abbreviation of it was it was the first report of the first year in Plymouth, and all these miracles happened. You know, again, the Squanto, right? Um, they were attacked by Indians early on. Not one arrow. They were unarmed. Not one arrow hit them. All their clothes were, were busted through. <laughs> okay, yeah, just miracle. They find corn. They're starving, and they find corn buried in in, in, the, in the ground that saves their lives. Uh, they go to this place where there's. Wow. Um, it's it's this beautiful uh, you know this, this the, the town creek that comes down it's it's the water is from um, underground springs sand filtered and there's wow. a drink so you, you understand why the Lord made sure they stayed there and didn't go 250 miles this was a paradise and again it was open it was free land it was just it's it's just miracle after miracle right and so all these miracles are written in Mark's relation that they sent that back on the fortune and someone hid it. And the French didn't get that manuscript. The manuscript was given to an English publisher and it was published. It was a wild success. And that's what recruited the others. And they said, look at this. Now, who wrote that? Uh, Edward Winslow and William Bradford, okay. who William witnessed Bradford these miracles. Was, okay. Yeah. And, and, and then. That's how we know about that. That's how. We, that's how yeah. So the other Ephraimites need to hear about it. What, what, what happened? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that inspires them. And by 1630, the Massachusetts Bay Colony comes over. They come on. That's, that's led by, by John Winthrop. Yeah. And Winthrop comes over, and, and he, he gives the City on the Hill speech that's quoted by, by Reagan <laughs> and by everybody, by Martin Luther yeah. King. Yeah. Where, and he, it's a covenant. He, he's so clear about it. He says, if we are righteous, we will prosper in the land. If we are wicked, we will be brushed off the land. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Yeah. Ephraim is... is, is repeating the words of his brethren who lived on this land before. They're inspired, they feel it, and they live this covenant, and they get here. They call themselves the new Israel. Yeah. They talk about the new Jerusalem being built. Samuel Sewell, one of the early Puritans, he, he said he had a revelation. He says, we are to build the new Jerusalem, but it's not here. And he actually said where it'd be. He says it's going to be somewhere in the middle, 
of North America. In the middle of the I mean, continent. these people, yes. they are the true forerunners of the Restoration. And, the, you know, the Lord, we, the Lord does things with symbols. We know this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Amberly loves to bring up these things. But it's, <laughs> he does this he, with numbers right. and dates. I, you see it re- repeated all the time. It's not a coincidence. This is 2020 right now. We, we are celebrating both the... First um, the, the first vision, the 200th anniversary of the first vision, and, and the 400th anniversary of, of the, the pilgrims landing on Plymouth Rock. Yeah. Okay, now it's, it gets even more interesting than that. The next wave of Puritans, of pilgrims or Puritans, to come to the New World is 1630, Massachusetts Bay Colony, where they come in, but under the same covenant, right? Mm-hmm. 1630. Yeah. Well, but the, and the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was established in 1830. So you see this, you know, eight, you know, 1820, 1620, 1830, 1630. So there's, there's just a lot of these kind of parallels. Again, I, to me, it's just one more sign that these were forerunners of, what, of, of the restoration. I think, I think that President Nelson wanted to make a big deal out of this coming, you know, April, April conference this year is because of that. I mean, look at these, these significant things that have happened, the, the 200 and the 400 year anniversaries of these two Events. That's right. It's a it's, it's a beautiful. It's, it's, it's a big deal, um, which is why this is the year that we're reinvoking the covenant. You know, we're in Gettysburg. Yeah, so, so I, I was at, like, for example, the restoring mm-hmm. honor uh, event that Glenn Beck did in uh, in New York at the, at the mall, and it was just absolutely astounding. Yeah. And then he did the, uh, the other one in in uh, um, Israel mm-hmm. and so forth. But he hasn't done one for a few years. They did one in Dallas. Yeah, they did one in then Dallas. Then one in Nashville. But it's been years since he's done one. Yeah. And this is the culmination of the mall. This is going to be the biggest one. It's going to be called... Restoring the Covenant. Restoring the Covenant. Yeah, and he's talking about this covenant that we're talking why, about. Why is that interesting? I, I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes about how... that uh, Isn't it interesting that the Book of Mormon year, in our study in, the, in Gospel Doctrine in the Church, always ends up falling on a presidential election year? Hmm. Isn't that interesting how, how that happens? Hmm. You know, hmm. and, and, when, and when you understand, I mean, this covenant with... With God, I mean, maybe is it is it how important is it that we actually get righteous leaders, and how can we let people know about this covenant? Now, obviously, you and Glenn Beck are going to be working on this project together and uh, and getting this information out. But what is it that wants to be accomplished by the re- restoring the covenant event? Do you? And maybe that can't can't speak for Glenn Beck at this point, but you probably no, no, have some ideas. You no, know, absolutely. You no, know, we're we're doing this together, and and with, uh, David Barton is another. Yeah, he's he's, awesome. he's amazing evangelical amazing. Yep. scholar, um, constitutionalist, constitutionalist, yep. just a wealth of knowledge. Yep. Um, so there's only a few times when we've had national leaders that understood the covenant and actually invoked it clearly on the land. It's always a covenant land, but we, so who was the first one? The Pilgrims did it. The Pilgrims initiated it. Okay. Uh, George Washington, George Washington. And, and the and the and the, Con- and the Continental Congress did it multiple times, very clearly. Mm-hmm. There's nothing clearer about the Revolutionary Period than that they did that. Which again is why Nephi, after the Pilgrims, sees George Washington. He sees that the Lord will come and He will fight the war and they will have victory because there's no reason they should have had victory. Yeah. Right. So, and, and this so information you can kind of you can kind of get this from your book, the Washington Hypothesis, right? I that's mean, right. That's where it's, kind of some of this information comes. So, if you want to get more information about that, you can go. The Washington Hypothesis the Washington will tell hypothesis. you all about Washington launching the covenant. But there was another hypothesis that you talked about a long time ago. It was one of the first times that we actually came and spoke at one of our events, actually. Um, and it's a different, a later president. Yes. How would you like to tell us a little bit more about? 
how that affected this particular president, this this covenant relationship here in America. Right. So uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, he invoked the covenant as well, and he he's interesting because he he had to like all of like all of us. He had to learn it. <laughs> he had to be converted to it. And and you know the Book of Mormon teaches. Did, if, did he know it at the beginning of his? Oh no. No, his, no, no. His, his uh, political No, life. you know, the Hel- Helaman has some harsh words for a, a, a wayward nation. It says, you will learn the covenant. <laughs> uh, hopefully you can learn it by yourself and be in a peaceful way. Uh, if not, you're, the, the Lord... You'll learn it the hard way. You'll learn it the hard way. Yeah. But the Lord will have you learn it. And for Lincoln and, and the 19th century Americans, they learned it the hard way. Uh, yeah. They were warned... They were warned many times by the prophet of the restoration. Joseph Smith even had the visions and so forth. Oh, and, he knew and, it. And the, and the Doctrine and Covenants. He knew it. It's the, the Doctrine War. and Covenants. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Two times is recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants where Joseph says, there will be a civil war. It will start in South Carolina. Okay, it will be regarding the slave question. Okay, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Joseph saw a lot of other things uh, in, in there. In fact, people think it's strange why Joseph ran for president. Uh, to have your... your president of your church run for president you know of the nation might be a little bit startling but it wasn't in the context of what joseph was doing doctrine covenants 101 is a scripture that's often quoted in church during the fourth of july it's the it's it's this great scripture in, in verse 77 76 where the lord says i brought you the constitution of the united states i mean it's really amazing it's the only political document that i know of that we have heaven's endorsement um, because it's establishing the, the, the promised land, the land of Joseph. It's, this is the Constitution. and um, But the, the interesting part about it is it's not actually a happy prophecy. This is Joseph suffering the persecution by his fellow Americans here in, in the promised land, and he's asking the Lord, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Help us. And the Lord says, hey, I gave you the Constitution, and your countrymen are screwing it up. They're misapplying it. And so then he gives Joseph instructions. Right after that verse, he says, now, here's what you need to do. Since you understand this, you need to go to the judge. And if the judge won't listen to you, then you need to go to the governor. If the governor doesn't listen to you, go, to, go the to the president. president. Yeah. And he did all those things. And each one of them rebuffed him completely. Van Buren, actually. Van Buren did. Jack, he went to Jackson, too, who also re- yeah. who kicked him out. They went to, they went to the, the governor. The governor wanted nothing to do with him. The judges, they, they were all corrupt. They all turned on him. So then Joseph says, all right. And then he runs for president, and he, and he says crazy things as he's running. He says, this is your last chance before hell's going to rain on this nation. I don't think he ever said, if you don't elect me, but he said, if you don't make the changes that I'm espousing, that they're from my political platform, you can expect that blood will run in this country. He said these things. Okay, very strong words from a presidential candidate, right? But he knew what the next contingency was in DNC 101. And if the president heeds you not, then I, the Lord, will come out of my hiding place and I will vex the nation and it will be a horrible vexation. And he actually says to Joseph, it's almost like this tender moment. He says, pray that they'll listen to you because I don't want to do this. You can hear the Lord's voice saying, I don't want to do this, but I will do this to bring about my gospel, my strange act and my strange work, which is Isaiah's words talking about the restoration of the gospel. I will do it. I don't want to do it. So then... That's why Joseph can stand confidently and say, this is going to be bad. This is going to be bad if you guys don't... And he says, listen to his, his platform. His platform was one, kill slavery. The, God, the slavery cannot exist in this, in this promised land. It's the sin of our, of our generations. 
And so long as that sin exists, the, the, the restoration can't move forward. There's, it's an evil spirit. And two, you have to respect the, the religious rights of the people. And the states weren't Enforce respecting it. Enforce the Bill of Rights. Enforce the Bill of Rights. And they, wouldn't, the they weren't enforcing it. The states could opt yeah. out of the Bill of Rights in the 19th century. People don't realize that. That was the constitutional interpretation by the courts. Mm-hmm. If Missouri said, First Amendment, we don't, we don't listen to that. Yeah. The federal government has to adhere to the First Amendment. The, we don't have to. We can, do, state, we can do whatever we want to you. Yeah. And Joseph said, that's a myth. That's a misinterpretation. The Lord told me it was. And you got to fix it. Those two things eventually get fixed. If, if Joseph had won the presidency, he would have had those, what he called his constitutional provisions. And it would have been the 13th and the 14th Amendment. But instead of listening to Joseph, they killed Joseph. They killed him in, in June of 1844 while he was running for president. He wasn't just martyred as a prophet. He was assassinated as a political candidate. Right. People don't understand that always. And so then a few years later, they burned God's temple. Okay, so what? Okay, it's over. DNC 101, that horrible prophecy is now activated. Yep. Now the Lord says, he said, I'm going to come from my hiding place and vex the nation. And he does come. And, but what he does first is this, this sweet, tender mercy. He picks up the saints and says, I'm moving you into Mexico. Yep. You don't want to be here. He picks them up, puts them into the safety of the Rocky Mountains, out of the country, out of harm's way. You guys stay here. They weren't affected by the Civil War. They, no one died. How, how many times has God done that um, to his covenant people? That's you, right. You think about Egypt, and he takes them out, you know, and so forth, and then you think about Lehi. The, 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 the people from Europe, and they come over here, and then you have this situation going on as we end up in Utah, in, in, in Utah basically the headquarters of the church being out here. Um, one of the things I also, do, and this happened actually just before section 101, basically in section 98, and he talked about the, the, the law. This is from verse 5, section 98, verse 5. This one I was kind of referring to a little bit a second ago. But he says, Now, verily, I say unto you concerning the laws of the land, it's my will that my people shall observe to obey, to, to, to observe to do all things whatsoever I command them. So God's law is number one and first. But he says, And that law of the land, which is constitutional, he says, supporting that principle of freedom and maintaining rights and privileges belongs to who? All mankind and is justified by him. So, a number one, we are we are commanded basically by the Lord to follow His law is number one. The constitutional law is number two. And He says, and uh, and then after that He says, anything that's less or more than this cometh of evil, <laughs> kind yeah. of thing, you know. Yeah. And it's just interesting the constitutional law of the land. That it, it's it's sad to know that we have so few people who understand, even in our politics understand the significance of the constitution that's right. and how that all happens. So so the slavery thing you were just you were just talking about how you know they because of this covenant they got basically the, the nation got vexed. That they got vexed. Now but here here's the So how do they get out of that? So they got to get out of it, right? So so the Lord picks up this temples gone, prophets shot, okay? Lines crossed. Prophecy activated. And, and even extermination orders. Extermination orders against, based the, against yeah. a particular religion. Yeah, horrible. Yeah. Just insane. Wow. So God picks them up, puts them in, and, and you know, it's they think it's this suffering time, the pioneers, they don't realize, no, this is, this is the tender mercy. <laughs> yeah. Like, get out, because hell's coming. Yeah. And then God basically, you know, unleashes hell. Yeah. And he has to. And, but he's got to find somebody in this hell that he can teach. Someone humble enough to, because someone's got to make sure. Because remember, if, yeah. if, if this is true, what I'm saying, 
then imagine Joseph standing saying, you can, you can avoid the hell on earth if you just do these two things. And he put forth his presidential oh, platform. The covenant. His yeah. president, but, and, but more specifically, the two provisions he put forth. The First Amendment, all the, the Bill of Rights to all people, mm-hmm. the states can't opt out, and two, slavery gone. Like he, the, he wanted those two amendments. Right. He leaves, Lincoln comes, at the end of the vexation, what does Lincoln produce? What does the Civil War produce? Joseph Smith's campaign, his presidential aspirations, his platform, his constitutional provisions, the 13th and 14th Amendment. Ends up Amendment. coming to pass. Ends up coming to pass. The through hard him. way. Through him. It didn't have to be the hard way, but it was either way, Joseph was right. <laughs> it was, yeah. He was going to have it happen. It's an amazing story. That was Joseph's, now. Well, what I think is fascinating is when you, when you talk about, um, you, know, you know, President uh, Abraham Lincoln and, um, and, and how, I mean, what was it that caused him to do this because originally he was not as I understand what you you talked to me before and so but he wasn't really all about slavery at the beginning no. that he it, his he was not even really involved with that whole thing that he kind of wanted to avoid the whole slavery issue yeah yeah so so he, what so Lincoln Lincoln was the first president um, nominated and elected as from the, the new Republican Party and it was an anti-slavery party but Lincoln was a moderate in that right. party and he only took it as far as to say look. I, I hate slavery on a personal level, but all I'm going to do, other- I will, I'm going to stop it from growing into other territories. But what you guys in the South want to do, you can do. You have at it, yeah. And so when he stood up at his first inaugural address in 1861, he said, everything, because the South had already left, because they were scared just because the Republicans were anti-slavery and that was enough for them mm-hmm. to be like, we're out of here because eventually you're going to hurt our slavery. Lincoln wasn't going to touch their slavery. He truly wasn't. And he stood up and he said, just come back and everything can be as it was. Everything can be as it was. False words from Abraham Lincoln. Because the Lord is saying, Mm-mm. everything can't be as it was, my friend. Like, that, that's the problem. That that's why we're, this, the, the status quo is really bad. I can't get a temple built. People are enslaved. And not just black Americans were enslaved, but religious minorities were enslaved. The yeah. monasteries or uh, uh, Catholic monasteries were being burned at the time. Obviously, Mormon temples were being burned at the time. Uh, Jews were being harassed. Uh, you know, Catholic. You know, it's, it was it was uh, other people were being enslaved in their own yes, way. Right. So things were super bad in the Promised Land. So Lincoln, eventually, after the first year of war, he loses every battle when he should yeah. win. He outnumbers the South in in manpower and in. Um, in supplies and everything, two to one. Hand it to him. But he can't point. win a stinking battle. Okay, so <laughs> so then he's and everyone's questioning who he is, why he's there. He's awkward looking. He's he's just he's he's not he's not a popular guy anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just and he's going. What am I? What is going on? What am I doing here? And then when he's already at the lowest There's of lows, low point in his low ebb in his it's life. It's February of 1862. His best friend, who's his 12 year old son, dies yeah. in the White House of typhoid fever. And now he's just completely broken. His wife's gone and never recovers, frankly. So he lost that support. And he's broken. And he actually said, I had nowhere else to turn but but God. But to God. My last option. And a miracle happened um, because Mary, his wife, was so distraught. They needed to call for some help to take care of the little boy, uh, little Tad, um, who who was running amok in 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 the White House. And uh, you know, Willie, his older brother died, and now he's right. this nine-year-old kid is running around, and Mary's out, and so he get he gets a nurse, and they send Rebecca Pomeroy. 
She's yeah. the medical nurse. And he's watching her in his misery, and he sees how happy she is, and he's 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 bewildered. How are, we, how are you so happy? Yeah, yeah. because they, things are serve things are bad, yeah. uh, and she just lost her husband and two of her three children, and her last remaining son is in is is a soldier in the Union Army and could die any day as everyone was dying, and and yet she's happy as can be. He can't get it because he, he's saying your plight's worse than mine, and he eventually gets the courage to go up to her and say, "What makes you so happy?" And she says, I'm happy because I know God. And he says, well, can you introduce me? <laughs> can you imagine that? And oh, she wow. does. And she, yeah. she sits down and she starts, they, every lunch they're reading the New Testament. He's memorizing. And he was, not that he wasn't a religious man before, but he wasn't a religionist. He wasn't a committed religionist. I mean, he was more of a God-fearing, but he, skeptic too. Right, right. But now he becomes a believer. He truly becomes a believer. He starts reading the Bible incessantly. He, they catch him reading the Bible in, in, um, in, in the corners of the, of, in closets in different places. Yeah, I was reading your book. Basically, I think you said you, in your book you mentioned about how they were, uh, they, they, they would walk by the Oval Office and he'd be on his knees at the Resolute Desk. Yeah. And then he'd walk by three or four hours later and he was still there That's on right. his knees. That's right. And like, Wow, I mean, how he many was, hours can you... He I mean, was soul-searching. He knew know? something was up. Yeah. He, knew he, he knew he had been wrong. He knew something was up. He was feeling it. And yeah. as he read the Bible, he felt it. And then, and then he goes in November of 1861. So the, the, he has his conversion. Clearly he has his conversion. And by, by the summertime, mm -hmm. he goes to his cabinet so when, when did when did Willie die? So Willie in dies spring, in right? the February of 1862. Right. It's now it's now summertime. So several months of several months. Here. And he's and he, like in this. Funk. He's he's in this funk and he starts to come out of it through 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 a spiritual conversion. He says he went through a process of crystallization, as he called it. Historians have said have called it a Damascus Road experience, because he wow. went 180. He goes to his captain. He says, "One year ago, I said this war wasn't about slavery." Because to him it wasn't. Yeah. It was about bringing the South back in with slavery intact. Yeah. And he says, I'm wrong. And he says, God talks to me. And his cabinet's freaking out. It's like, hey, whoa. <laughs> don't, don't, be, don't be saying that outside this room. But he said, God has been talking to me. Yeah. And this war, he wants the slaves freed. And they're like, whoa. You stood in the whole country and you told them you weren't going to do gonna this. Touch the slavery. Yeah, he says, I, it's, Mary came to him. I raped. She says, you're, I hear you're gonna you're thinking about freeing slaves. And he said, he looks, here's what, he, here's what happens. He looks at her, he looks up and points to heaven, he looks back at her, and he says, I am a man under orders, and I can do nothing else. Wow. I think in your book you talked about how uh, when, he, when he first came into his cabinet and he just put together the Emancipation Proclamation and so forth, and he handed it out, what was their response? Oh, they were, they, that? they, they said you can't do it. Well, they said you, this is crazy. First of all, you're losing the war, so this is going to look like a last ditch, ditch effort, mm -hmm. like some desperate move. You can't put this out until we have at least a victory. If we have a victory, then you can put it out on the heels of that victory. He says, "Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait for the. I'll wait for that to happen." Yeah. Now, before we get, tell you tell you what when that battle was and what happened, because yeah. now something is going to happen that allows him to do this. But what happens is, so during this whole process of crystallization, the Damascus Road experience, as historians have said, um, in November 1861, he went to the Library of Congress, signed for a book, checked it out, 
put a signature on it. We have the records. Just one book, or was there? There was multiple books. Okay. Multiple books, about five. He has these books with him when Willie dies. He has these books with him during the spring and summer when Nurse Pomeroy is is basically lecturing him on God and the scriptures. He has his book the whole time. It's it's now seven months overdue. He turns the book back into the Library of Congress Mm -hmm. seven days before he goes to that cabinet meeting and lays out the preliminary orders to emancipate the slaves. Okay? It's seven almost days before. Seven days before he finally turns okay. that book in eight months late. Mm-hmm. And the book is significant because it's the only book on the planet that spells out specifically the covenant that exists on this land. And the book, as you know, was the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And the other books were also every book the Library of Congress had on Mormonism. Yeah. <laughs> No, but one of the things that you also mentioned that uh, in, in in the book, if I correct me if I get this wrong, but when he first brought out the Emancipation Proclamation to his cabinet, they basically said, you know, if you do this, you will die for this. And if I if I remember, what he basically his response was really interesting. And this is again remembering this is seven days after he just took the Book of Mormon back to the Library of Congress, and he said, this is the will of God, and by God we will do this. Yeah. And he basically knew that he was putting his life oh, on the he, line. Oh, well, he knew he was going to die. He said it, just like Joseph. Yeah. Joseph died for the priesthood covenant. Abraham Lincoln died yeah. for the national covenant. I, I, I was going to just show you this. This is uh, For those of you who haven't seen this before, this is a new painting. We had uh, one of our great um, artists, David Lindsley, actually did this. Have you, you've seen this before. I've seen it. So David you, gave it to me. He, he, actually, he actually painted this after he read the Lincoln hypothesis. Oh, is that right? That's what he told me. Yeah. But, 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 yeah, so... So this this is this is Lincoln holding the first edition copy of the Book of Mormon, as and you actually have held that in your own hands. Right? I held it in my. I, I talked about it in my book. I went. To, yes. I had to go see it. Is yeah. there any markings in it? Is there anything in it that's significant? Did he dog ear anything? And I found. I did. I found something. I found where, something. Where was it dog eared? This is crazy. So, so I go to the Library of Congress. I'm like, I got to find this book because Lincoln was famous for dog earing and marking his books. Like even checked out library books. So I thought maybe he did something. Now this is a long shot. I'm a realist as well. This book has this book has you know been it's very old. It's yeah. 200 years old. So it's been through many hands. Um, but it it's was an original 1830. It's edition. the original. Yes. It's 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 the first first edition of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. It's probably it's worth over a million dollars. Yeah. And then the Library of Congress oh. just gave it to me. Here you go. Have fun. Like what? Really? Whoa. Okay. They, they, it's no longer available, yeah. by the way. Oh, they, they won't let they won't let people see it anymore. it anymore. Um, so you were one of the last ones to see it. I was. In fact, I've I've. This is going to sound like I'm ringing a bell over my head, but um, the library. I've heard from multiple sources who went to do what I did and see it. They, they said, "Yeah, too many too many Mormons are coming to this because of some hypothesis book. They want to see the." <laughs> so now they put it in a glass case. It's in a glass case, so people so can you can now, see it. Yeah, but you can't hold it. Like <laughs> you can't you hold it. Yeah, it's in a glass case in the in the rare books room in the Library of Congress. That's so cool. So, um, um, you know, we did sell a lot of books. So it's yeah. you know maybe a lot of people tried to go. Yeah, try to go find it. So, um, so crazy enough, I, you know, the Book of Mormon is almost six hundred pages, right? And there's the as I call 33, I believe, dog ears. And they were old dog ears. Like, it could have been anybody, right. but they were old. Like you can see almost like rust in the... Did, did, they, in the, did they have a kind of a list of other people who have checked the book out no. since then? Mm-mm. So they don't... So, There's no list. So who knows if anyone's ever even checked it out? It's possible, yeah. It's after impo- him. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But there were several dog ears. And the interesting part, and I took pictures of it, <laughs> so we have the evidence. Yeah. Um, there was one place where there was an accordion ear. 
dog-eared, meaning it's three times. Back and it's, forth, it's three, back and Yeah, forth. three times back and forth, so it's an accordion, so it's really easy to find it. Yeah. And what's crazy, there was only one place that I was, I thought that Lincoln probably used the Book of Mormon. And sure as heck, it was where the accordion, I went in thinking there's one place that if Lincoln used it, he used this particular chapter. It was Second Nephi chapter 15 and 16. The beginning of that. Right. Why is that significant? This is where Nephi utilizes Isaiah's words and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 is probably my favorite Isaiah prophecy. It's in all of our LDS doctrine. And the reason it's significant is because when, when Abraham Lincoln did his, took his second inaugural address, already now converted to the covenant, Right, go read that this second. Fa- this is the famous one. The famous one that's that's engraved in the, in the Lincoln Memorial, yeah. where he says the, the 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 judgments of God are true and righteous altogether, and if every drop of blood spilt by the sword has to be repaid and redeemed, um, or I'm sorry, if every drop of blood caused by the bondman's lashes on the slave has to be re- reclaimed and redeemed and redeemed through the blood of the sword of this war, then so be it. And he says this, this is a judgment not on South alone, but North as well. That's very unpopular to say. Imagine in the middle of a war, they're still fighting. He says, this is because of your disobedience. No, nobody yeah. loves that. We're all wrong. Yeah, you've been wrong too, North. And so this is God. He says it. He says exactly what Joseph, you would expect Joseph, in fact, what Brigham Young was saying about the war, he starts saying it. This is a punishment from God to, to, to change us, to, to, to heal us. And we have to repent. He says it. And then before, after he gives that speech, he, has to, he puts his hand in, a, in the Bible. Where did he put his hand? Isaiah chapter 5. Now here's what's crazy about Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 is where Isaiah is seeing Latter-day America. He prophesies, he sees the restoration of the gospel. Now you might recognize this, where at the end, at the end of Isaiah chapter 5, he actually sees the missionaries going forth. And he, he describes trains he describes mm-hmm. airplanes. You recognize this. Mm-hmm. They, they'll, and, and they won't latch their shoes over a one-day period on the, yeah. on the other side of the earth yeah. to gather Israel. And, to, to, and, and they'll, they'll come to Zion. It's, you recognize this. Yes. is Isaiah chapter yes. 5. We all know this. It's where Isaiah sees the gathering, of, the missionaries going out and, 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 gathering, and Israel. gathering Israel. But just before you get to that restoration, that we know where it comes out of America, a war is hap- happens first. A, a horrible war. And the, its carcasses are dead in the street. It's tw- verses 24 and 25 is the war that leads to, and then after the war is over, the Lord says, but my arm is outstretched still. My arm is outstretched still to you, but you're going to go through this war. Get this. When Abraham Lincoln takes his oath of office, puts his hand on Isaiah 5, then when he finishes, Salmon Chase, who's the Supreme Court Justice, is administering the oath, he records that Lincoln then bends down and kisses chapters 24 and 25 the war chapters, the war that precedes the true restoration. Because the restoration couldn't take off, right? Yeah. There was too much persecution. They couldn't even keep a temple up, right? And so, Well, they, not, they basically had been forced to desert the whole area. They, they had to leave they, America. They, they had to come they had to, to leave the land Salt that Lake was... City. Yeah. yeah. And so this war... So is Lincoln now questioning, is this my war? Certainly he's making the connection. Is this my war? Now, what would make him believe it could have been America's war? This is what. Because Nephi took Isaiah chapter 5, placed it in what's now 2 Nephi 15, and Nephi explains in no uncertain terms he is seeing Latter-day America. 
So if you're Abraham Lincoln reading the Book of Mormon, you come through this guy, Lehi and Nephi, you're like, wait a minute, he's quoting Isaiah 5 saying it's this land. Because there's no question what we're talking about. I don't care if you're the first, your first exposure to Mormonism is the Book of Mormon. You know they're talking about the New World. They're talking about America. That's right. Right? And he sees all these Nation things. Nation above all the nations. What, the one of the air, nation, right. One of the earmarks was 1 Nephi 13. That he, it was also earmarked. <laughs> really? Yeah. It so, had, had just a single dog ear? Right. So oh, Lincoln's are, if he's, if he's reading it, it's hypothetical, right? Yeah. He sees this is America, and this guy Nephi, whoever he is, he's claiming that Isaiah... Saw America. He saw a war this in this it. land, and now he's going to say, "Is this my war? Is this what he's saying? Is he seeing me?" So that he throws open that pressure, puts his hand, kisses it, and then gives a covenant speech, and then dies within a month. He's killed. This is his last testimony. Wow! It's not all a coincidence. There's no coincidences. No. That is so beautiful. Oh my goodness! That, I mean, that how uh, how amazing is this? That we, that you know. In, in the very beginning of these of these courses this year, there was a film called Scripture's Legacy, and in Scripture's Legacy, it shows you know what 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 would what would life be like? Where would we be as a people if it wasn't for people like Mormon, like Moroni, like you know William Tyndall? And I think we have to add George Washington and Abraham Lincoln to that list as well. What would what would we be like if Abraham Lincoln had not fulfilled his destiny? What would the United States have become? That's right. And what would be the consequences on a covenant nation of God that was established from Adam and Eve and their and, and their um, begin in the very beginning, went all the way through the Jaredites, all the way through the Nephites, reestablished again by by George Washington, and then Lincoln basically upholds it. He's kind of it, it kind of reminds me of of Captain Moroni in the middle of the Book of Mormon. He's like waving the the title of liberty, right, and trying to bring people back to this covenant and understand. It's amazing how much a single, solitary, righteous leader That's right. can change the complete direction of a nation. That's right. And how wicked ones can change it too. I mean, Lincoln, when Lincoln made those pivotal decisions, like that Emancipation Proclamation, it didn't free all the slaves because he, he, he did it very diplomatically. He did it in a way that was going to work. Right. It was the first step. Yeah. Right? So, but that led to the 13th and 14th. No, he was, no one was for him. Very few people were. He had to stand alone to do these things. But you stand with God. But he stood with God, and God and made it happen. You can stand alone, and you still be all right. That's right. And so and um, you know that battle that launched that whole thing. Getting back to that, remember yeah, yeah. he told his, he told them all wait. It was the Battle of Antietam, the bloodiest day in America. Thirty thousand dead. Fifty thousand died in Vietnam. The whole war. Americans. Thirty thousand Americans died in one day. At, at the Battle of Antietam. Wow. And this was when Lee brings the armies into the Northern Territory for the first time. So this is significant. If he wins this battle, it's over. Yeah. It's over. He'll take, he'll take D.C. and it's done. Slavery gets to reign. So Lincoln, in his own words, said, I made a covenant. This is September. It's September 1862 now. He says, I covenanted with God, his words. He said that, he said that in, a, in a cabinet meeting on September 22nd after the war, um, the, the um, Secretary of the Navy, Gideon Wells, the Secretary of the Navy, Gideon Wells, was was in there and he recorded the words. He says, Lincoln made a, said he made a covenant with God that if we win this war, that's it. That's his sign. He's going to put, he's going to bring out the Emancipation Proclamation and free those slaves he can constitutionally under a certain provision. He was being clever and creative knowing that it would eventually lead to the 13th Amendment, the abolishment of slavery everywhere 
and the 14th Amendment, Joseph Smith's yeah. provisions, right? So this is very significant, this, this, is gonna, this, this moment. Um, and here's what we know about that Battle of Antietam. Was there a miracle? Yes, there was. What happened was, right be days before the war, days before the battle, um, Lee was in this little town called Frederick, Maryland, about 20 miles from where the battle will happen. He's gathering his troops um, on, at this little farm called the Best Farm which is about 12 miles south of Frederick, in the, um, Frederick, Maryland, and they're all kind of camped out there, and he gives these orders to his, his generals. Stonewall Jackson's one of them, and it's, this, it's special order number, one, number 191, um, very secret orders. He actually, he actually commissions them, gives them the orders, and tells them to, 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 um, to lose it, to, to rip it up, oh, wow. to hide it. And he... Um, they memorize because what he's doing is he's going to split his he's going to split his his army his his armies into four or five different divisions, which is, makes them very vulnerable. But then they're going to come in through different uh, through different uh, angles, right? Okay, right? So it's it's very secret. So all, according to all the investigation that happened later, all the special order number one ninety one copies were destroyed. Everyone accounted for him. Jackson swallowed his. Others burnt. <laughs> one of them, you know, they so, did not want this information getting out. It couldn't get out. Yeah. A few days later, they leave. The Union Army comes in. Get their, you know, they're, they're starting to stage for battle. And there's a soldier, a Union soldier named Barton Mitchell, just a private. He's walking through the field. Walking along. So this, if, I've been to the field. It's enormous. It's acres and acres and acres. <laughs> but he's walking through the same field. Who knows what he's doing? And he, he steps over. He trips on three cigars. The, the one thing that will get the attention of, of a soldier, right? <laughs> he picks up the three cigars. Takes, there's, there's a wrapping around it. Takes it off. It's an envelope. Opens up the envelope. Lo and behold, he's looking at a copy of Special Order Number One Ninety One. They get it up to William McClellan, the general. He gets it to Lincoln. He 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 says, Lincoln. He says, President, Mr. President, I got a piece of paper that if I can't whip Bobby Lee, I'm willing to go home. <laughs> they have the entire battle plan. Those were literally his. That was his telegram to Lincoln. If I can't whip Bobby Lee, I'm willing to go home. And they and that intelligence is used. In a, in a battle that could have gone either way, it was it was you could hardly call it a victory for the Union just because of the bloodshed. But they yeah. did win because they, they drove the South winning. out. Yes. Yeah. Lincoln learns this of of the. I don't even know if he knew of the miracle exactly. I mean, of course he did. It was an absolute miracle. Sure he knew something about it. Yeah. yeah, but he that was the answer to his prayer to his covenant. And then he on September twenty second he goes to the cabinet. He calls an emergency cabinet. And he says, I don't. I'm not here to get your opinions. I know what your opinions are. Most of you don't want me to do this. I'm not. I'm just here here to tell you what I'm going to do. He said, God has decided this in favor of the slaves. And he says, I will keep the promise I made to myself and that I made to my maker. And then he ended the meeting and, and finished writing the Emancipation Proclamation. And that was it. And that was the beginning of... That was a turning point of the war. It was the absolute turning that, point yeah, of the war. Yeah. From, from that point on, so in, in January 1st, 1863, the, the war had a new meaning. It wasn't just restore the Union. It was eradicate slavery which leads us to the 13th and 14th Amendments, which are Joseph Smith's prophesied provisions. Yeah. What, it's what had to happen to heal the land. If you think about the Founding Fathers put it in the, in the, in the Bill of Rights, basically that all men are created equal by their, by their creator, right? Yeah. Well, that, that was finally going to be enforced now in all of the states. That was it. And it was because of him. Yeah. That is fantastic. Let's end there because I've got to run. Yes. Tim, thank you. I want to uh, thank you so much for coming and doing that. I hope everybody enjoyed this uh, this podcast. Um, it's uh, just we want to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about um, you know the next chapters in the uh, Come Follow Me program. 
And uh, again, Tim, we want to just thank you. And also, just a little shout out for you as far as Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, I know you've got a, a, you know some uh, some films coming up and that kind of thing. Maybe just uh, just give us a, two seconds about what's going on with that. We we love you. We appreciate all you're doing, and um, and we're grateful also that the President of the United States is actually um, meeting with you occasionally. I, 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 I have on my phone, I have the picture from, <laughs> uh, from the news about you standing on the right hand of President Trump, basically, as you're uh, giving him some, some counsel and so forth about the, the border situation and, and securing the border so that we can have a, um, a, a better ability to shut down the illegal trafficking that's been going on across the border. Child trafficking, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we are moving along. At, at, you know, keep... keep Informed at OURrescue.org. Yeah. Uh, we, there's a there's a feature film coming out starring Jim Caviezel and and other amazing yeah. actors that tells the OUR story. Yeah. Um, it's the film just finished, so I've seen it. Um, it's it's. <laughs> we we saw a little. You gave us you a, little saw a little snippet of it snippet. earlier this last spring. Yeah, and that it's, was it's, amazing it's, it's, at their conference. These the filmmakers are amazing, God fearing people, and they did it. They did a, a really good job. And you mentioned there's a couple of other ones coming up. Can you can you give we have, us any? Oh uh, yeah, we have we have a documentary called Triple Take that's about to release probably next year. We have oh, the Nazarene Fund, which is. Uh, something Glenn Beck started in 2015 that we yep. now run, yeah. uh, uh, liberating Christians and other ethno-religious nice. minorities in the Middle East. All over the world. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah really over the world. We're, our focus is still in the Middle East and, and mm-hmm. what ISIS did to them. Uh, and, and so, yeah, keep, just keep, keep, keep in track. You can follow me personally also at uh, TimBallard89 uh, on Instagram. I keep people informed on my personal things as well, so follow me there. And Do you tweet? Oh yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We do. Okay. Yeah, right. we we have Facebook and everything. So and I and I I keep people updated there and what's you going bet. on. So you bet. Well, listen. Thank you so much. Thank again. you, my brother. You are fantastic. Thank you, God sir. bless you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for what you're doing. All right. Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast. If you enjoyed this, come follow me supplemental study. Click the like button, or share it with your friends. Be sure to go to bookofmormonevidence.org or firmfoundationexpo.org where you can buy tickets to the upcoming Firm Foundation Expo held Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, April 9th, 10th, and 11th in Sandy, Utah.